HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hi everybody, welcome to the second part of our uh, New Year's resolutions with Oath of, Gate- Oath of the Gate Watch, which I managed to not call Oath of the Gate Crash thanks to Michael J. Flores, or definitely- no thanks... To Michael J. Flores. Call it Oath of the, the Gate Crash on air, though. Well, I just I just did. I mean, sort of. But most, but, but somewhat deliberately. Uh, and, you know, we're going through the cards. We, we got through the cards that had been spoiled uh, by the Wizards website as of, well, we're really coming up on the last day of the Christmas vacation uh, or holiday vacation, depending on whether or not you're in a militia, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and so, so last we left off, we talked about General Tazri. We talked about a couple other cards, but let's pick, let's pick up with Blue. Let's talk about Crush of Tentacles and Surge, Mike. I like this card. This card seems really good. Uh, it seems uh, quite exciting. For UU, for a sorcery, return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands. Uh, it says if Crush of Tentacles surge cost was paid, you also get to put an 8-8 blue octopus creature token onto the battlefield. So Surge is an alternate casting cost for the card, and if you or a teammate have already played a spell that turn, uh, then you could pay its Surge cost, which is 3UU. So how do you break this, though? I mean, th- th- there's not, I mean, like, there aren't, I, I was, there's not a ton of cheap cards in Standard necessarily to, to do this with, are there? I mean, strong disagree. Okay, I mean, I'm asking you. What if you're playing Black Blue and you just cast, I don't know, Duress, take their counter spell, and then cast Crush of Tentacles for five? That seems awesome. That's just like, like, oh, I see you're blue. Duress you, cast Crush of Tentacles, lift all your Planeswalkers, etc. So the thing I like about this card is um, it is uh, very good at dealing with uh, permanents that you don't necessarily have specialized anti-permanent stuff for. Planeswalkers, so, yeah. enchantments. Planeswalkers being the most important, but enchantments is pretty good. Like, if people are silk wrapping or whatnot, oh, you, yeah. can, you can do that. You can mess up Eldrazi engines. Man, you, you, can, get, you can get all your hangerback walkers. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's, that's not how that works. <laughs> but, but you could, like, you could, you could mess up their hangerback walker. Like, let's say they have a thousand hangerback walker tokens, and you're just like, Crush of Tentacles! And that totes messes them up. So I just like any kind of cards that have any kind of a reasonable casting cost that say things along the lines of mess up all the Planeswalkers. So even if this costs six, right? It's going to yeah. cost six if you set it up off a duress anyway. Well, it's, I mean, at, at six, you, you just bounce. You don't get the eight and eight, right? Like, well, yeah, but the, the major point that I'm making is even if you're quote-unquote just doing that, six mana for a resolution on a card like this to take care of like a four or five mana planeswalker that's had some loyalty value built into it is actually not that bad of a response card. Now, if you, you know, let's say your opponent's about to do Ultimate Soren, which is so fast, right? That's one of the reasons like Ultimate Soren and Ultimate Sarkin are so, or the first Sarkin, the red Sarkin, are, I guess that's not the first Sarkin, it's the third Sarkin. There have been so many Sarkins. That's the third Sarkin, right? Yeah. So Sarkin three. First, is- first Sarkin that really mattered. Is that what they call it? So the Black Red Sarkin actually made top eight of a Grand Prix deck, I think. But yeah. um, that was, that Sarkin was okay. 
but the red Sarkin's outstanding, obviously. Anyway, um, you know, it just it has any amount of loyalty built into it. You get there for five or six mana. It's good times. Uh, the, you know, the sequencing is a little goober. Like, I'd love it if you could bounce their stuff and then duress their sweet thing out of their hand, but I think that sure. would be too good then. Uh, also, how would you even template that? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, you could do it on sevens. <laughs> well. And not get an 8-8, eight, eight, right? Well. Like, all right, bounce, barf. duress. That seems worse. Um, but yeah, just the thing is, like, this isn't quite an upheaval. The only reason upheavals were so good were because you got to bounce their lands. Oh, yeah. But just put them into a, to a helpless, paralyzed position if you had a lethal creature in play. And it was, you know, so easy to, like, get a lethal creature in play and then play the only land, right? And then they do their thing, and then you can use the one land there to either cast a circular logic or, you know, a one-mana removal spell and then get in for lethal with a Psychotog or potentially a wild mongrel. So you're telling me you're going to resolve this spell in 2016? I think this card is outstanding. I think that it's likely to be a sideboard all-star because it's a weird card to play main deck. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Duress doesn't always get played main deck, right? Like, I think Duress gets... is very underplayed main deck right now. Yeah, I think that okay. there's so many half-measure decks what, that have got, like, two Duress. What else do you... I mean, like, I guess Green... Like, you could Oath of Nyssa and this? I mean, I think... On turn six? I'm just trying to think of, like, you know, what, what are the cheap things that you get to do? Anticipate in this on seven... Is is something? I mean, obviously. Oh, I don't think you're very likely to oath of Nissa and then this. Maybe so it bounces the oath of Nissa. Yeah, get a land bounce. That's not that bad. Okay, I kind of like that actually. It's weird to play this card in the deck with oath of Nissa though, because because like (laughs) you don't want to be the one idiot who misses on oath of Nissa, right? Like sure, sure. (laughs) Like like every Paolo Vitor Dama de Rosa naysayer dream come true happens. When you but I mean, but you, but you also, but, but I mean, you have a really good, you have a really high, I mean, reasonable likelihood of hitting a land there, right? Like if your deck's built to be casting things like Crush of Tentacles, you're probably playing 27, lands. 28 lands. Oh, well, maybe you're playing fewer lands because you've got Oath of Nyssa. Yeah, no, <laughs> can't you you into the lands. <laughs> it goes both <laughs> ways, my friend. No, 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 we're cutting instants and sorceries from this deck, my Really? Friend. Because this happens to be a sorcery. I don't, I don't I know, know if you that's noticed. We're cutting this one. <laughs> This is a this is a but what what, what else Rube Goldberg what else, machine that what's getting what awfully else, creaky. What else works with this in standard right now? Just anything cheap, like I don't know, Monastery Swift Spear, Crush of Tentacles. Okay, like you go Monastery Swift Spear, get in for one. I'm going to argue matter. that Monastery Swift Spear and Crush of Tentacles probably will not resolve together. I believe both of those cards will resolve in 2016. Um, I do not believe they were resolved in the same deck. Yeah, I'm liking Duress is the best setup card. Yeah. I think there's like... Uh, are there cheapy card draws or cheapy graveyard stuff? There's not a lot of cheap... I mean, there's like... There's Profit of Distortion, which we're going to talk about in a minute, which is uh, a, a creature that costs a single blue, and then you get to pay three waste, draw a card. I mean, uh, anything that cantrips for one is probably going to be pretty good. Right, but there's not. They don't make a lot of those things. That's one of the things that makes you know Oath and Nessa was so unusual. We don't see a lot of those one mana cantrips anymore. I mean, for seven, it starts getting real easy. You know, like Elvish Visionary. This thing is super right. easy. Right, some some yeah. kind of Seder Wayfinder. I'm just going to use as a proxy term. Right, easy. So, um, look, I think this card's. I, I you could just like fiery impulse. Let's say they have a guy. You know, sure, fiery impulse. Right. Their guy. Then cast this. It's fine. 
Um, but I think the fiery impulse in their guy is fine, even though you're bouncing all the other guys. Like maybe it's a guy you don't want them to recast. Sure. Like maybe they have an elvish visionary, or like maybe they have a what's that guy who's like green black one damage your opponent equal to the number of elves. Yeah. Maybe they have that guy. You know, like fiery impulse that guy. You know, or a catacomb sifter or any of these guys who are value generating kind of guy. Right. Like that's probably reasonable to set up this. Or you know, there's there are uh, probably whites. Here, how about this one? Is there some? Can you silk wrap your own thing? I don't think so. If there was some kind of silk wrap my own thing, cast this. Good night, nurse. Yeah. That is going to be the thing. So, you know, Reese Perry, Voltaire Baya, you go find me something to, to silk wrap my own thing. And then we, we, got, we got a legit seven. Guys, let's go. Willie. And no, it's, a, it's actually together. it's actually just target creature with converted mana cost three. Or, oh no, it's an opponent. It is an opponent. So that's correct. what I thought. But there's yeah. other ones, right? Aren't there like a hundred? Yeah, there's certainly there's certainly been a million variations of that. That you know, just hit any creature and you can get your own. You know, I mean, there's times where you were able to oblivion ring your own oblivion ring, right? Yeah, oblivion ring would work, but that's not in standard. Yeah. Um. Interesting. I'd be I'd be curious to see what what color combination this is most likely to show up in. Uh, you know. You know, because I mean, I mean, I guess you just you don't necessarily need the eight eight, but it, but it feels this card feels like you're just like treading water if you're not putting some presence onto the board behind it. You know, I I think that um you know there's a a lot of different ways you can go with this. I think that you're going to be very happy to do this in the treading water mode sometimes because you're so far behind. Sure. But by by the way, this fine. also you know what's what's kind of interesting about this. You know, you talked about the things that it it deals with in terms of like non creature. Uh, permanence yeah but it also deals with like hex proof creature permanence like you know a dragon lord ojitai or you know another card we're going to talk about in a little while like but you know create creatures with hex proof that you can't budge out of the way you can't you know oblivion ring or do or path or do whatever you're going to do to them so but yeah i mean not that anyone's going to play this in modern but in modern also path Crush. Oh, you know what the Detaxian best Detaxian oh. probe. You know what's yeah. really good? Like, uh, is there some kind of zero casting cost pedal that you could play? Or like, bobble? Like, you could like, patch ape and bobble, and then look at something and then bounce it. But I don't think this is very likely to be modern. Play no, no, no. I mean, obviously the best card to play it with in modern is Quicken. <laughs> oh, good night, nurse. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or in the, in the immortal words... Of Luke Cage, Sweet Christmas. Yeah, I think Quicken. it's hilarious how they incorporated the Sweet Christmas into the Jessica Jones show. They, 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 like, did, they did a good, they did a good Christmas. They did a good job with it. Uh, okay, uh, so yes, Crusher Tentacles. We think standard card. Obviously, modern powerhouse with Quicken. Not obvious. Uh, and uh, but moving on, comparative analysis. Three mana and a blue. Three blue, three blue for an instant. Target player draws two cards, but it has Surge to you. So same same templating as, as our previous card, except this one's an instant. Uh, if you or a teammate cast another spell this turn, you can pay it for three mana. Uh, I think this is one of the most interesting cards to talk about in terms of principles of Magic the Gathering. And I also think it's probably playable. 
Well, I mean, it has been playable before, right? Just like four mana instant draw two cards has certainly been a standard playable card. Yeah, Inspiration was a card that I played um, in a bunch of decks. Uh, Mike Denae played it, you know, back in like 97 or so. Um, you know, it's comparable to Deep Analysis, but not really. You get to be an instant instead of a sorcery, but you know, the flashback. It's, it's on a card advantage basis. It's like a really, 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 really bad factor fiction. Um, it is, however, an instant. Uh, you know, we don't get an overabundance of playable instant speed card drawing in blue for standard. Um, yep. I think this card is super unlikely to be a sideboard card. I think that if it gets played, it's likely to be a main deck card. It's like kind of not powerful enough to be a sideboard card. You want sure. to have a cohesive strategy with this card, probably incorporating, you know, cheap, cheap catalyzers. Yeah, I mean, for, I see this. Surge. I see. I see this also being like a blue black kind of. De- like, you know, I can see you know, or Esper or something. You're like, okay, ultimate price your guy. You know, my last three mana comparative analysis draw two cards right i think this is very grixis or you can either oh, sure. price okay. or or fiery impulse or sure sure one of those things like a lot of instant speed removal type things or dispel into comparative analysis i think that those are all right. disdainful disdainful stroke that yeah and draw draw two sure the the uh or that i mean or it's the same as as uh the crush and, if they, and if they don't do anything you can just pay four and draw two yeah you could just kind of sweet duress someone right with like whatever mana open and you're like oh they have nothing or like you could dress someone and they, let's say they have like a disdainful stroke, right? And uh, but they're tapped, yeah. Yeah, they have a disdainful stroke and uh, and uh, scatter the winds, right? And they've got like you one up, okay. And then you can take their disdainful stroke and then immediately cast comparative analysis, knowing that if they get an untap, they'll have three up to cast their 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 scatter the winds. Like that's a strategic thing that you might be able to do. You're going to tap on your own turn, but on the other hand, your comparative analysis is going to resolve, and you know. But their hand is, right? Right. That's like a thing that you could do. Um, right. I think this card's very interesting for gameplay. I think it's very interesting for discussing the principles of Magic the Gathering. I think it is unlikely to be playable before Khan's block rotates because it's just competing with Treasure Cruise and sure. time right now. Uh, also worth just talking about for a second because, uh, you, know, you know, the Surge text says you or a teammate. So it's... You know, and, and obviously people who are listening know this already, but it's just still worth stating, right? This isn't like, you know, okay, a Pantheon team member <laughs> <laughs> has cast a spell oh, this oh, turn. On table three, uh, Owen Turnwald has cast Wild Slash. <laughs> Johnny, you can cast your comparative analysis for cheaps this turn. Uh, I mean, this, this you tell him I comparative analysis, jerk? This is, this is really uh, speaking to Two-Headed Giant and, like, Emperor and, like, you know, multiplayer formats where you know, two or three players are playing sort of simultaneous magic against the same number of players on the other side of the table. Or a similar number. <laughs> yeah, similar. I mean, down Emperor, sometimes you could lose a player. It could be three on two. Um, but yeah, uh, so this is, this is definitely, uh, you know, Wizards finding a way to make cards. I mean, we've talked about two of these cards already as being, you know, very likely destined, if not in the immediate future, to get to be played in standard. You know, cards that are going to get played in standard, you know, you know, six months from now, uh, but are also able to straddle into a more casual format like Two-Headed Giant that people are going to be able to play at the pre-releases. Um, I think that's really cool. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's like, just from a game design perspective, from as a game designer, I, I like the fact that they're able to, uh, you know, make these cards that, that are able to wear both hats. I mean, I think these, this is like, this, for example, is a powerful ability, right? Um, it's just, it's just in a weird zone in terms of its costing right now, but it's sweet, right? So we talked about a card like Endbringer in the, the previous podcast that we're not sure if it's good, but it's definitely sweet. And, you know, the, the sweet factor is the kind of thing that has kind of these more casual players or, or other format players, you know, real, real excited. And, and I don't know. I'm sure there are thousands of players out there who look at comparative analysis, and the first thing they start to do is jotting down what what the what the catalyzers that they want to play uh, for the surge cost are, even not in in a competitive format, like not in standard. Like, well, I sure. would play this with you know Gataxian Probe, or I'll play this with you know Urza's Bauble, or you know, what if I had a team team deck like you're saying, like some sort of two headed giant action. And all of my cards are surges, and all of my teammates' cards are cheap catalyzers. I, you know, that's I, would love, I would love to see people play two and a constructed. That used to be a fun format we ran twenty years ago. No, for real, right? <laughs> like they're like, oh, what? I'm all surges, and you're all catalyzers, right? Or right. I don't know, maybe we're both all surges and all catalyzers. You know, fifty fifty. Um, and you know, like I can be setting you up, and vice versa. And that's a, that's our whole strategy. I mean, we might get some. Some serious Jake Van Lunen action going on there. I mean, not with slivers, with uh, yeah. some other terrible idea I right. just had. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so but, but but comparative analysis, probably going to play it in limited. Probably going to play it in constructed. I think uh, that it probably is... not going to play it. Probably not going to go further than standard, right? I don't, you know, I don't. Do you imagine seeing someone play this in modern? No, this is not going to be played in modern or legacy. Yeah, it's yeah. just not. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Deep Fathom Skulker. 5U for a 4-4 four, four, uh, Devoid Creature. Uh, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. So it's like kind of, uh, uh, you know, similar coastal to... piracy. Some, yes, right. It's got a coastal piracy tagged onto it. And it has three colorless. Target creature can't be blocked this turn. So... Uh, it's a rare. It's it's actually kind of like a Biden to Fossa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right with with a Biden to Fossa with Fossa also in play. So, and this is a tough card. Like, so it's six mana for a four four. Right. So that is not an auspicious start. No, that's, that's not just not auspicious. And then like. Whenever you, a creature control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. If you've got a bunch of creatures... Okay, I could, here's a scenario that this might actually happen. If I have creatures that can get enough through to deal damage to you, no, I'm like probably you, winning already. You can just like, a end of drop. turn, cast a, cast a Scour, right? Um, and uh, what's, what's the name of it? Scour the Wastes? Scatter the Wastes? Okay. Yeah. You don't have the one that makes X... Secure the Wastes. Secure the Wastes, sorry. I secure the wastes for however many guys, and then you know some of them will probably get through. Yeah, and then I untap, play my six land, cast Deep Fathom Skulker, and just smash with everybody. Somebody gets through. I have a Deep Fathom Skulker to block your biggest thing. And I draw, you know, one or more cards. I think that that's a scenario. 
where you know you can imagine cards that people would play, and this will this will work. And you're just, I think, like you always have to have some amount of a creature advantage, and then play Deep Fathom Skulker. Sure. And then try to get one or more of them through. Like are, I just don't see. Resol- like... Are you going to resolve this card and construct it? No, it's way too much mana. Are you going to first pick this card in limited? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> right. Like, let's let's be obvious here. Uh, okay, profit of distortion. This is a card I was talking about earlier. Uh, I just mentioned because it costs a single blue. It's an Eldrazi drone. It's colorless. It's a one-two, and it has three colorless. Draw a card. It doesn't twist words. It twists worlds. <laughs> that was some some serious haiku poesy there, man. Yeah. Um, I think this card. Like, I want this card to be playable so bad. Yeah, like, I mean, it it's cool. <laughs> well, no, it's just one, right? Yeah. That's the reason it's awesome. Like, you, you could just totes play this. Like, you know, a lot of the time people play these strategies against each other where they're both slow decks they're both powerful decks and their their route is just to get slower we're like i'm gonna be i'm gonna have more and more uh you know disdainful strokes to fight your dig through times that's a common thing that people will do like well your your deck can only win with like pro lake ancient and two ugins and some tazigers so i'm just gonna have all the disdainful strokes in the world and you know all the scattered ones in the world be super slow and I'm going to cut off your way to win. And I'm going to take out all, like, my nonsense. You know, like, the stuff that, that doesn't doesn't interact with your deck. It interacts with, like, Hordling Outburst, right? So I'm going to take out all my, I don't know, Radiant Flames and all my uh, Firing Impulse. And I'm just going to be all Duresses and, and, and uh, you know, expensive Planeswalkers and... Stuff like you know, this is really common, right? Like that's a way that people yeah. sideboard to get super slow, and their entire strategy is to hit all their land drops. You know, they like they just use their jace to hit land drops, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess this is this this thinking doesn't even work because both guys will have jace, right? Yeah. Like, no, this 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 guy needs to be like a one three, I think, to get in there. Yeah. I, I mean, I I'm just trying to construct this universe where this guy is like awesome because your opponent sideboards I, a certain I, way, and then he becomes like this. Long-term advantageous card. We were drawing two cards a turn in the mid game. You know, like who was sure. it? Was it Ali or LSB? Who played Azure Mage? Um, I think they both might have. I, I you know, it certainly was a, a, a. It was it was a well-played card at its in its day. Um, yeah, like I don't know. Like this card seems like Azure Mage, but you can get it in faster, which is sure. Interesting. Azure Mage is a 2-1 with basically the same ability, right? Right, yeah. It's like the exact same size as Azure Mage for half the mana. You get half the power, but you get a toughness back, right? That's not the worst, is he can contain token creatures. Right. Right, like like, uh, if your opponent's playing Dragon Fodder, you'd rather have this than Azure Mage, right? Right, right. And Azure Mage is a playable card. So, I don't know. seems like... I, I mean, the interesting thing about him is he's also, he's also a cheap card. That, I mean, we talked about, like, you know, uh, Surge stuff, right? He's a cheap Surge enabler that has some mana sync abilities late in the game. Like, here's the thing. If you are going to resolve, like, a reasonably powerful Surge card, like Crusher Tentacles or Comparative Analysis, which means you yeah. have, like, between four and six mana open, and you cast Profit of Distortion, 
Wouldn't you just leave your mana open, make them answer your Prophet's Distortion, and then draw a card if they can answer it? <laughs> then actually cast your Surge card? Like, I mean, you might... There's no way I'm using Prophet's Distortion <laughs> as a comparative analysis enabler. It <laughs> makes no sense, Brian. Well, it makes sense in the sense that it just, it's, it's a cheap card that you get to clean up the board. I mean, you can sit there and draw cards, but you can also you know, clean up the board or your opponent has, you know, a million tokens in play. You're like, what are you going to do? Just let him attack you? Or no, are you I'm, gonna... talking about, I'm just saying comparative analysis. I don't know about, I don't know about. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, your Crush of Tentacles, it's like, it's obviously better to go Profit or Distortion, Crush of Tentacles, get back more Profit or Distortion, which right. is like an absolute insane advantage relative to just casting Crush of Tentacles. So I had right. an 8-8 instead yeah. of not having an 8-8 and I just rebuy my Profit or Distortion yeah. instead yeah. of not using a card. Like, yeah, that's much better than the alternative. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. There's I'm sorry. No I, I, didn't know, I didn't. I. I was. I. I. I didn't realize which card you were talking about there. Um. I. I. I was somehow thought you were still talking about crush, but you were talking about comparative analysis. Well, I mean, it's obviously better than than a lot of options for setting up crush potentials. But it's just if you had requisite mana, you just would never use profit distortion to set up comparative analysis right you're just wasting unless you will it's that's really weird unless you only only have four mana like wouldn't you just cast it on the their end step then like yeah <laughs> I, I i think i'm being needlessly restrictive i understand what you're trying to do conceptually i'm just saying from a practical standpoint of like blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah the, the, the I, you know it's funny profit distortion just smacks to me of a card we forget about right it just goes away it doesn't it never rears its ugly head in a in a in a 60 card deck for like two years, right? And then someone comes along with some modern combo deck <laughs> where, like, this is where this, it's like some card where you're just looping a couple of creatures that bounce each other and you nut, you net a colorless mana on each cycle. Yeah. And then eventually you just draw your whole, you know, you make infinite colorless mana and then you draw your whole deck and then you do something, right? That's what this card feels like to me. This card to me feels like a piston in a deck that I'm not seeing yet. So we're going to, we're going to say this is going to resolve somewhere. I mean, not, but not in 2016. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'll play it in, I mean, I could see this in limited for sure. I mean, I think I'd probably play this. In, this is much better than a replacement value garbage card in limited. I'd rather yeah. have this than card 22 most of the I mean, time, I think. It's probably, It's. I mean, it's, I, again, I don't know how fast or so limited format's going to be yet, but. Well, I mean, think about, what if the card said this? Um, Five mana, which just literally costs five. It costs U4. Um. Like, negate damage from one creature, like, whatever that means. Like, target creatures, yeah, yeah, yeah. draw a card. Would you play that card? Uh, maybe. That's probably, that card might be a little better than Profit of Distortion. That card is exactly Profit of <laughs> no, Distortion. Yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't block a Trampler. You know what I mean? Like, right, so, so, but, but no, yeah, it I, does, I get what you're the, saying. The, the ability, saying. target creature is blocked, does not stop trample damage. Sure, yes, I know, I know. So, I mean, actually, like, U4... Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Like, uh, target, target creature becomes blocked, blocked. Draw a card. Draw a is card, like, yeah. You would play that in limited sometimes. Like, it's, it's like, sure. not the I'll, best. I'll play, this, I'll play this in limited sometimes. I just, I don't see myself picking it very high. Yeah, but it's like, but the thing is, this card is a lot better than the card that I just said. Yeah, right? so, because you get to, re- because it's renewable. Yeah, if you, like, if the card costs W2, target creature's block draw card, how, how often would you play that card? Like every time. W two. W two. Yeah. Yeah, I play that all the time. All the time. So at yeah. U five, at U four, you don't necessarily play it all the time. It's two more mana. But this card is a ton better than that card. It can be that card sometimes. 
And other times it's just actually. Well, you don't. Know, you, you also don't need to get to five mana to cast. This well, yeah, card. it's a, you could you could put a down payment on, and on turn four you can actually draw a card before you even get there. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the last blue card that's been uh, previewed so far, or actually almost the last blue card. This is uh, the last blue card, I think. There's one, there is one more that was previewed in Sam Stodd's article, and I want to talk about okay. it also. Uh, Oath of Jace. So Oath, Oath of, of Nyssa, we, we, we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast. We thought it was pretty awesome. Well, we'll talk about it again when we, we get to green but, today. But, but clearly Oath of Jace must be more awesome. I would Oath say of... it should be three times as awesome because <laughs> it... Oath of Jace costs three, and Oath of Nyssa costs one, so that's just math. So, yeah, it's to you for a legendary enchantment. Uh, when Oath of Jace enters the battlefield, draw three cards, then discard two cards. So this card's pretty sweet, actually. Uh, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, scry X, where X is the number of planeswalkers you control. Um, I'm a little torn on this card. Because it stinks. <laughs> but I feel like anything Jace has to be good. So, like, if you play, like, Jace runs Prodigy on turn two, and then you could like set up so that you're actually doing it at some point. But like, I guess you play Jace runs Prodigy on turn two, cast Oath of Jace, draw three, discard two. You got two cards in your graveyard minimum now, and you could like you can, Jace. Maybe you'll just get there, right? He could right. do that around two three, yeah. depending on how many fetch lands you had or whatnot. Um, or if you like, I don't know, cast a Fiery Impulse or Duress on turn one, then. Uh, yeah, he could just get there, and then you're scrying one every turn. Scrying one every turn's okay. Yeah. Uh, but, like, draw three, discard two is a pretty powerful ability. I mean, would you play this card if it was just... I guess it's just compulsive research. Yeah. Um, that never nets its cards. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's... So if it, it, I mean, the, the compulsive research, just... if you draw discard a land, you were... You were, right. uh... Uh, you were winning, right? Is that the... Yeah, but I mean, this we're we're in a format where there are things we we want to have in our graveyard, right? We want spell mastery. Uh, putting two cards in your yard is fodder for your delve spells. Um, you know, so I, I you know I I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in something that's putting two cards in my yard. Um, and you could play four. It's not a big. I guess it's just I guess it's just compulsive research and like. That's not that bad. It's a li- it's a slightly better than compulsive research because you end up with oath in play. No, it's a- not because compulsive research sometimes is a two for one. Sure, 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 sure. Right, like draw three, discard one is a very powerful. Ability. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, obviously much, obviously much better, obviously. But thinking about it more, like every thirst of knowledge ever cast, because literally no one's ever discarded an artifact to thirst for knowledge. <laughs> well, what if they discarded an artifact land, Brian? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that counts. So. Yeah, I guess, especially if you're, like, digging for a particular... Like, like, if you have a lot of two-ofs in your deck, you can play, like, four Oath of Jace and a bunch of two-ofs. Um, but I don't... I guess this is a powerful selection card. What's the three-mana card we said, yes, like, in the last podcast? was just, like, unplayable, though. I'm just trying to compare this to that. Uh, Call of the Gatewatch. Yeah. I mean, Call of the Gatewatch probably isn't unplayable, but I just can't imagine wanting to play it right now. <laughs> Yeah, like how much better or worse is Oath I mean, of Jace? I'm, than I'm, that card? I'm not. I'm not super excited. I mean, I I can see myself. I will play Oath of Jace in my Canadian Highlander Enchantress deck. I you know I don't see myself. I I can't. I have a hard time imagining myself playing this in standard right now. I don't even know if I play this in limited. What really? I, I no, guess this I would... is like if you have. Let's say you have a Wrath in your deck. Sure, yeah, you of your course. Wrath. 
Yes, of course, it's going to date me to my card. But, I mean, a lot of times, I just I just hate a card that, you know, on its face is pay three mana, do nothing. No, this, this isn't do nothing. I actually like this card the more I think about it. So, here's these are the things I like about this card. Number one, let's imagine you just never have a... Just never a have plane a planeswalker. Walker. Yeah, it's just, like, always one for one. You're, you're still discount... Like, you could easily cast this on turn four or something and then set up, like, a one-mana treasure cruise or... Yeah. Or Murder's Cut, which is, like, that's pretty powerful. So you actually did a lot, even though, like, it seemed like you didn't. Um, and then separately, like, this is, like, really good for decks that have a lot of have a lot of dead weight in them. So, like, let's say you're playing against Beatdown and you just don't want Disdainful Stroke in your hand, or you just don't want Ugin in your hand, and you just want to have, like, all your Radiant Flames and all your, you know, Fiery Impulses and all your Life Gain cards, like... You just fix your hand with this. Sure. Like sure. I, I could see playing this in a deck with like um with uh uh demonic pact. So like first of all, it helps you get to your pact, and then second of all, it's insurance for your pact. Like so you have an enchantment in play now, and then on turn four, you just dug to your pact with Oath of Jace, then you cast it, and the opponent is Dramka's command, and he can't make you sacrifice your pact. Right. That's actually pretty good. Interesting. Right, and then it's your deck's probably still gonna be benefiting from like if you're playing a black blue pack deck, you're you're gonna be benefiting from setting up cards like murderous cut, treasure cruise, dig through time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure, I think this yeah, card's good. good, actually. Like, it's not as good as Oath of Nissa, but it's good. Okay, I are, are, you play, you, are you gonna play it in standard? Yeah, I think this is like it's. I think that I would at least try to play it in a couple of decks. Okay. You know whether it ends up in the final fold. I mean, I don't know. I think I think people should play more black blue pack decks. I I believe I will resolve this card in 2016 in Canadian Highlander. I I do not believe. What is I will Canadian Highlander? It it's basically a, a single. It's a Highlander, so it's a singleton format, hundred card decks, uh, vintage, with a you know very very small band list but you can play with like you know lotus you can play with time walk you can play with all that stuff you can play with all the power cards but all the really interesting cards like that come with a point value and you have a point restriction on how many points can be in your deck why is it canadian is it because uh, it was invented in victoria canada and uh, that's what they call it so it's just racism yeah it, it should probably it probably it, it probably much like Elder Dragon Highlander needed a better name to sort of fully catch on, you know, to be called Commander. I mean, it probably needs to be called some sort of, you know, can we just call it something like more vintagey name? Like I mean, no, Mounties I mean, I know the guys who run. I know of... the guys who run it. It's, it's, it's. Uh, yeah, I've, I've met them through, you know, playing online with in the format. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, if Wizards wants to take it on, that would be interesting. But I mean, as it is right now, it's a fun casual. We're, we're Ca- just, casual format with you know <laughs> we're just never going to get through all of these cards in this podcast if we don't move on from okay Canadian. all right so, okay, so there's a, another blue card uh yeah. in St- sam stodd's column right yeah sphinx, sphinx of, of the, the final, final word. word yeah so, re- read it so this is a mythic rare which as you know means that it should probably be played as a four of in every deck <laughs> uh so it's five uu so seven total mana for a creature type sphinx not a legend it is a five five creature for seven so terrible stats. Yeah. Sphinx of the Final World can't be countered. Well, that's good. Uh, it's actually reminiscent, I think, of the card Last Word, right? So Last Word is UU2, counter target spell, can't be... Yeah. Uh, it can't like, remove all spells from the stack or something. It can't be countered or something like that. Yeah. 
So it's 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 kind of last wordish. Flying hexproof. All right, so those are two good abilities. So the, so the stats are a little less relevant. Yeah. Instant and sorcery spells you control can't be countered by spells or abilities. So this card is, I think that the aesthetic of this card is this is supposed to be the game ender for uh, control and control. So you play Sphinx of the Final Word. Here's a hexproof creature. They can't counter it. You know, ability to interact with it is going to be minimal because it has hexproof. It's flying so it can go over their tokens. That's the aesthetic, right? And then right, I'm gonna right, I'm gonna dig and uh, treasure cruise and do whatever I want, and you can't stop me. And all your jazz resolves for the rest of the game, right? Which is like those are all good. Uh, I think in practice it's gonna be way less final than that. Wait, you're playing Faltong Invocation? You're playing Faltong Invocation? That's not fair. I think. Why would you do? Why? 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 Why would you? Are you game for life? And you attack me with your your dragon? I mean, just like. Do you really think people are not gonna are they gonna side out their crackling dooms against you? They still do too. Like, even if you don't have guys in your deck. I, I don't know. I think this card is ambitious. I think that this card will probably be insane. Like one week, some somebody's gonna have Sphinx of the Final Word in their deck, and people are not gonna see top eight deck lists yet, like at a Grand Prix or a Star City Open, and he is gonna keep siding in Sphinx of the Final Word and destroying his blue opponents. And then once the word's out, <laughs> Sphinx of the Final Word is going to have played its final game. Yeah, I, th- I think that if you, you build up a dual decks pack that is Sphinges versus Dragons, the Sphinges do not fare that well. Uh, I think I think that the, the control decks already have like enough great finishers available to them. And I think you need to wait for those to rotate before this is going to even, you know... Uh, yeah, I think cra- you know, crackling doom and foul tongue invocation need to need to rotate out of uh, standard before this feels really uh, able to go toe to toe with with those types of decks. So let's see. This guy has seven casting costs for a five five, right? Yeah, and by, by the way, that's not that's not the Doomblade argument because I realized it sounded close to it. <laughs> like, oh, this thing dies to Crackling Doom, or it dies to more specifically Faltong Invocation. Yeah. I think the the reason I'm saying that is this card is supposed to be the card that comes in in that control on control matchup, right? Yeah, you know, the, just... the 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 deck that is running, you know, Dragonlord Ojitais and Faltong Invocations and Esper Dragoning and doing all that kind of cool stuff. Well, so that's you know, that's that's just the reason to sort of justify my Doomblade guyness there. Well, when I won the regional PTQ in Utah uh, in a few months back, man, that's half a year ago now. Uh, you know, I was playing obviously the the five color mono blue dragons deck, and in my top eight match, I was playing against a conventional Esper dragons deck. And you know, I think that his his whole game plan was going to be max out foul tongue invocations against my Ojitais, right? Or at least have action yeah, against yeah. against uh, my Dramacus, etc. And I just played second turn Omen Speaker, and like he just had no game. And, like, Omen Speaker was going to soak up whatever was going to happen the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. Like I think I think that there's just I think when you have these slow decks that are siding against other slow decks, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with a lot of game plans. That's the yeah. That's the way that I. I'd analyze it, and I think that most of the time the game plans are going to be around who's got Jace, who can resolve slash stick slash not have their Jace die, and possibly play the anti-Jace game, right? Like, let's say one guy's like all silk wraps to make sure he can fight the other guy's Jace. 
if that guy doesn't have any Jace in his deck, then those Silk Traps become dead. Sure, sure. And those Silk Traps are, are going to be, you know, incentivizing somebody to overkeep a hand they might not normally have kept. It's like, oh, I have a lot of anti-Jace action here. If I played the anti-Jace game and I don't have Jace in my deck, then all of a sudden those Silk Traps become very bad. Then, you know, if somebody's hand starts to clog, they're going to be loath to discard the Silk Traps. You know, there's a, it's kind of a lot of, a lot of layers there. Um, but you're talking about powerful, highly effective, and mana effective cards that cost two versus, um, you know, at seven. I, I, I think that this card's going to get its money at least once. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> are, you gonna, are, you gonna, are you going to play this card? No, it's not really my thing. But I'm, it's going to get played, you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm more of a, I'm more of a Monastery Swift Spear, you know, become immense guy these days, as you know. All right. I'm 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 all about Atarka's commands and, and stuff like that, or right. at least Dramica's commands. I, I'm just not cagey enough to play with islands, I guess. Okay. Well, good news is we can get through black very quickly here. By the way, there are so only, only three cards, cards so far. Right. Uh, Dread Defiler six B for an Eldrazi. It's got six eight stats, so it's seven mana for a six eight. Devoid, and then it has a really interesting ability: three and colorless exile a creature card from your graveyard. Target opponent loses life equal to the exiled card's power. So, this is a commander card if there ever was one. So this card is really interesting. First of all, it costs seven. And for reasons that will not be named right now, having Eldrazi's that cost seven, probably pretty relevant for some for some folks. And you get triggers off of you know, a bunch of lands, other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, and he's a colorless creature that costs seven. That's a, a thing, um, uh, and you're gonna, there's going to be high incentive to, to, playing, to playing cards specifically of this casting cost or greater. So that's actually going to be you know, some amount of feather in his cap, or, I don't know, yeah. a back full of spikes. If yeah, not his car- feather in his carapace. Um, his ability is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Right? So if you have seven... The implication is you untap, play a land, you have eight, right? Yeah. If you exile two creatures that have power uh, 20 or greater, you win the game, right? So <laughs> you just immediately win the game. So let's if you say you somehow got, I don't know, cause-elect a great distortion in your graveyard. Yeah. Right? How would that happen, right? Um, you know, you're... Uh, Oath of Jace, huh? <laughs> there are a lot of ways, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so there's a you could just win the game, you know, in the, in the next turn. Or you know, if you're less ambitious and you're playing a very long game, like you could easily just have, you know, fifteen mana in play or something. Right. That'll happen. You could just, you could, you could just death right shaman them out with this guy, right? Like just, yeah, I, I just think it's possible where you're just like you know, you know, battle cruiser deck versus battle cruiser deck, just roundhouse kick, roundhouse kick, uppercut. Yeah, yeah. There's just like trading blows, trading blows, and you've just got. Ulamog and Kozilek in your graveyard. Like, they don't have... They don't have the original Eldrazi triggers, right? The right, original right. Eldrazi will stay in the graveyard. Yeah. These guys just stay there. If you kill... Yeah. If you kill... You kill Kozilek, he's... Or, you know, make, make them discard Kozilek or counter Kozilek, whatever it is. He's, he's going to the bin. Yeah, so like 12. <laughs> 15 mana, right? You're like, seven of it's going to Dread Defiler. And they're like, all right, kill Dread Defiler. Like, in response, kill you. Like, it's... Uh, that's a that's a powerful Magic of the Gathering creature, I think. Um, will it resolve? Only question is, 
will there be powerhouse Aldrazi decks that can tap for B? Right. Because they there might not be. Right? I mean, they they exist in modern for sure. There are there are decks that are doing all sorts of Eldrazi stuff in modern. So I mean, I don't know if that is you know fast enough, or I mean, that might be a weenie creature in that deck. <laughs> but uh, interesting. So isn't there a deck that's based on like um, nuking your opponent's graveyard with? Yeah, uh, there's there's like yeah, there's like the Bajuka Bog, uh, Eldrazi. Uh, what's the uh, uh, crap? What's the name of the guy who uh, eats all the you know you get all the lands to play? Oblivion Sower. Thank you. Uh, you know, doing Oblivion Seller stuff and, you know, making Eldrazi has all the Eldrazi cost-reducing lands and, you know, you get to in Urborgs and you get to do, you know, it's basically a mono-black Eldrazi deck. So, you know, that, that certainly exists. I think that that might be a place there. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It's funny because it's a card on its surface. It does not look like a card that gets to play outside of 40-card decks. Do you know what I mean? It's like... It's it's like got a weird weird power and toughness. It's got like some kind of expensive ability on top of like an expensive casting cost. But uh, I could I could see I could see some scenario where it resolves in a constructed deck this year. I I think that this card is likely to um to resolve. I just I'm not sure. It, it, what if you played it? Uh, it's at seven. Like you could play this in a black green deck, right? Yeah. Like I won a, I won a Grand Prix trial last year with a black green deck that topped up on Garrick Apex Predator on seven. It's right. A, I think that that's a available route that people can uh, can potentially play. Yeah. Like I, I think that the natural the natural color combination is probably going to be red green because of um, Eldrazi Obligator out of the sideboard and sure and uh, you know some access to removal and stuff like that. But, uh, but I think. Black red. I'm sorry. I mean, green inter- red inter- might be a. I'm, I mean, interestingly, sorry. this is a splashable card, though. This is a splashable card, also. Though. It's, it's like a single black in the casting cost. It doesn't require any colored mana to activate its ability. Oh yeah, you could easily just have one, some kind of like swamp in your deck that you get with explosive vegetation, or you use a fetch land to get right. Right. Yeah. That'd be super easy. Yeah. And especially since you you could potentially have wastes in your in your mana mix, and that will help set up battle lands anyway because they count as basic lands. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this super possibility on Dread Defiler. I, I think it's likely to resolve, and I think it's likely to be quite good. Mm, that would be cool. That's cool. That's a fun card. I like that. That makes me happy. Uh, Remorseless Punishment, three BB sorcery. It's a rare. Target opponent loses five life. Unless that player discards two cards or sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Repeat this process once. So this card is conditionally unbelievable, right? So it's not like I it's not like some of the Punisher cards are just like, oh, I'm gonna choose to discard two cards, but I don't have any. So you actually have to discard two cards, right? In order to uh in order to, to meet the Punisher requirement on this? Yes. So I think this card is likely to be very, very good. So you're saying if you get your opponent without creatures, planeswalkers, and one card in hand, you just make them lose 10 life for 5 mana? Well, I think that I would put it a different way. Like, this card is very bad if your opponent is playing with cards like Hordling Outburst, right? Right. Because you're just going to take take a 5 mana spell and have them you know, be at parity with a 2 mana spell that probably did 8 points of damage to you. 
in the in the interim, right? Right. That's not good. Right. You don't want to be in that situation. But if you're playing like a burn deck and you can just deal with like their small guys, or you can deal with planeswalkers. Sometimes a burn deck just wants to kill their planeswalker. Like, what if their planeswalker is soaring? Right. Like, is it the worst thing in the world for you to cast this card and then they like kill Soren and kill the vampire? That's okay. Right? Yeah. It's not the best. It's also not the worst. Like a burn deck doesn't want you to have any creatures with the Soren active. Right, right. Right? That's and that's a thing. So, um, I think this card is likely to be very, very good because it's one of its possible modes is five mana take ten. Yeah. Right? Like, oh yeah. Like, what if you're playing a a deck that has like blightning, right? So obviously blightning is not legal and standard right now. But can you imagine playing like blightning beatdown, and then you have this card as 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 your top end of your curve? Yeah, you're like guy guy blightning guy remorseless punishment. Like your opponent could easily have no cards in hand. Yeah, there's certain cards that have like uh, I have like a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man test. It's like you know I just imagine myself losing to them. You know, like how is and I could I could just see myself taking ten from this card. Before we before we didn't knew anything about cards like Vampire Hex Mage, like I saw the card, um, uh, what's Dark Depths, Dark Depths, and I'm like, I'm sure people will lose to this card, right? I, I went back and looked at my original set review of uh, of Gold Snap. Yeah, you know, a few months ago, and I'm like, I was just like, what did I think about that card? And I was like, yeah, so people will definitely lose to this card. Was my analysis, yeah. and I think that there, this card is like, it's. It's, it doesn't have that many modes, right? So one of its modes is somebody sacrifices two five mana. They sacrifice two creatures. Well, there was already a card that people played that was four mana. Both of us sacrifice two creatures. Right. Okay. <laughs> this is one more mana. I get to keep my creatures. That's one mode, right? Another mode is five mana. You sacrifice a creature and discard two cards. Okay. But you can proxy planeswalker for creature. You know, something like yeah, yeah. Crazy. Or, like, one mode is five mana... I think mana. a Planeswalker's even better. Yeah, it's better. So, like one mode is five mana, you discard four cards. That's Mind Twist. Right. Okay. That is Mind Twist. That's okay, right? That's an okay mode. But the uh, one that's five mana, you take five, is Bananas, I think. This card is probably really good. And I think, like, if you look back at... You know, I went through this weird oh, mode of... I don't know if you remember this. I went through this weird mode of deck design circa 2010 where, like, every single thing I did was just, like, I laid out the matrix of what the cards did, how much they cost, and what they could do. And I would end up playing a lot of cards that were that other people thought were weird to be played in the same decks. So, like, I played decks that were, like, Counter Squall, Blightning, Vampire, Nighthawk. You remember this? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Right, like no one was playing Vampire Nighthawk, and I was just like, no, I think this card's very good for the following reasons. And then, uh, and I, I played it specifically in this deck, and there's like, no one played Counter Squall. They're like, what are you doing? This card is weird. I'm like, it's not that much harder to cast than Negate, right? And they're like, why do you play Blightning in your Grixis Control deck? Because it's super efficient. It costs three, and it, look at how much it does. You know, it can kill their Jace among other things. You know, and you know, you can. You can get their you can get their bloodbraid off before they can cast it, or they can get their fourth mana so they can't cast their bloodbraid off, and you get them with second lightning. And I, this card smells so much to me, like the cards that that I liked back then, and and you know highly successful playing some of those decks. I think that there's, I think there's something here. That's my analysis. I think like 
playing this card in the same deck with, I don't know, maybe Coling in the Storm's Fury, that's exciting to me. Interesting. Right? Like, there's just, there's just so much action going on. I mean, it's horrible if your opponent's playing Hangover back but <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. Uh, the last black card seems pretty uh, pretty obvious that it it will get resolved. Uh, you know, this is this is a card that's gotten resolved, and every time it's been printed, it right, flaying tendrils one BB for a devoid sorcery. All creatures get minus two minus two until end of turn. Uh, with the addition here, if a creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Yeah, so I want a qualifier playing basically the same card, but it just said scry one instead of right. of exile everything. Right, drown in sorrow. It's not even clear that scry one is better than exile. <laughs> Both are good. This card is right. obviously going to be played. Yeah, yeah, played in limited, played in constructed, played in every, yeah, played in all sorts of formats. Uh, do we do we want to keep going through red? Um. Yeah, I think we we got to a long point again. I guess let's just force us to to do more podcasts. Let's do uh, this instead. Let's not do red. Let's do artifact and then run through the non-basics real quick. Okay. So artifact, there's only one artifact that's been revealed so far, right? The, the, the Stoneforge Masterwork? Stoneforge Masterwork. That is an auspicious name. I feel like I don't need to read any further. The word Stoneforge, <laughs> just the evocation from the word stoneforge is really powerful in the context of artifacts specifically i think we just I think we just, I think we just leave it there and the, the word masterwork speaks for itself yeah okay let's keep going it costs one <laughs> yeah and it's equipped to well no, 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 no. uh, it's cost one and it's called stoneforge masterwork this has got to be the best card all right it's an equipment yeah it and is. it's a rare you know what it that is. means it's a rare brian we don't have to read anymore okay we, we should though Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control that shares a creature type with it. Well, so it could do nothing. <laughs> it, could, it, really could, nothing. it could It could do nothing. <laughs> so you've got one guy in a Stoneforge Masterwork. It just doesn't even get plus one, plus one. Yeah. What a poorly named card. I'm going to call Matt Cavada right now. <laughs> Matt, what are you doing, man? The Nomadic Core... Carry only necessities on their long treks. The coming of the Eldrazi redefined necessities. Yeah. But why is this a mass order? It'd be like, it should just be called random core armor. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the core are the core are a little. Um, they're a little pretentious. I mean, in the past, they've had reason to be. I think. Yeah. All right. So. So let's talk about non non basics are, are really relevant here because this is generally going to be our source of colorless mana. <laughs> Well, so I mean, we get some we get some basics. Waste is basic. Waste is a basic. So but, just cast your colorless. Important stuff can be can be gotten with an explosive education, can be gotten with uh an evolving wilds. Right. Uh can be can be gotten off of a path to exile, I would assume as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh but but those are not the lands that are gonna be as interesting. I think I think the cards that have uh you know that are gonna do some some other and also provide colorless mana where, where we're, we're really interested. So let's talk about Crumbling Vestige. This is a common, enters the battlefield tapped. When it enters the battlefield, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So it basically Lotus Cobras when it comes into play. And then it has tap, 
add colorless to your mana pool. So you play it and you don't miss your land drop for the turn and you get a colored mana. And then for the rest of the game, you get a colorless mana off it. I think this card's fantastic. I, I, I mean, just, to, just from a game design perspective, I love this It's card. cool because it's, like, tricky. Right? Like, it... it um, it says that it comes into play tapped. So you're like, oh, this card has a disadvantage because it doesn't make mana the first turn. But it does. Yeah. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice card. It, you know, it's like sort of a, you know, when you have that one splash card or, the, you know, unlimited, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I, I really have to splash this, this Planeswalker I opened. Or, you know, like it gives you that, that, little, that little mana fixing you need on the turn you play it. Uh, plus it has all this utility with all these cards that, that care about colorless, you know, generating colorless pips. Um, I think that uh, we're in agreement here. I think this is a, a pretty good card. Do you think it will resolve? You know, I have a feeling uh, we we might see this card in constructed. It's a trick. Lands don't resolve. Yeah, I, I didn't, and I didn't say it would resolve. I said, but I think we, I do feel like we might see this uh, get played. Um, mirror pool. This is going to be one of the best cards in the set. Mythic land. Yeah, it's a mythic land. Mirror Pool enters the battlefield tap. This time they weren't kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, two in a colorless sacrifice Mirror Pool. Copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. So this is a this is actually four total mana. It's two and two in a colorless and tap and sacrifice the Mirror Pool. Yeah. But it's basically like you can cast a fork. It costs twice the mana of a fork, but. You got but all the utility of a land yeah, yeah. until until you, you don't. Yeah, you don't take a spot up in your so in your spells. And then four in a colorless tap, so that's six total. Sacrifice mirror pool. Put a token onto the battlefield. It's a copy of target creature control. There's just a stack of times you'd want to do this, right? Like, and you get to keep the token, right? So, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, let's say you have I don't know, uh, Whisperwood Elemental. All right, I'm just gonna <sighs> just copy Whisperwood Elemental. Oh my god! And then, like, you have two Whisperwood Elementals now. Like, how much card advantage is that? And then, when they wrath you, you have double the Whisperwood Elementals triggers. Um, it's just, I think the, yeah, word, I... the word "unbelievable" gets bandied around a lot. But I think this is a case where, um, it really. Uh, really... Give me an example where where this would slot into an existing standard deck. Uh, I think that it's most likely home is actually in blue-white control. Okay. So you can um, just have it in your blue-white deck or blue-x deck. Just Sometimes you just fork and dig through time. Sure. So like you can have, uh, let's say you're in a counterspell war and you're like going to lose the counterspell war and you can just like fork your last counterspell. Um, and then you can win the counterspell fight. Uh, I think that that those are those are some uh, available opportunities, or uh, obviously any deck that you can net mana from its copying a creature ability. So any deck where that's playing hitters that are six mana or greater, sure, you just get just get an advantage on them. Um, any any opportunity you have to. Turn excess lands into spells later in the game. Uh, there are decks that have too many lands. For example, like any green based ramp deck might right. uh, might have a might have a home, but, it, but it's also the case for blue white control. You know, twenty eight lands or something. Like 
it's you've watched i'm just gonna throw some names out there matt sperling or paul retail time out a match right where they have like a bunch of lands in play playing esper or blue white control a crazy sure. level match um just have being able to turn one of their late game lands into a spell like there's going to be times where you're just like secure the wastes fork it right and that based on the amount of mana that you have into the secure the wastes that losing a land and dedicating three other lands to that is actually going to net you tokens that's going to be a thing uh you know especially if you can combine it by like going untap gideon or untap soren something like this so i think blue eye control green base ramp two core areas uh you know the the limitation on this is that both of the forking slash token copying abilities are only spells or creatures that you control. So it's not like your opponent can have yeah. Eldrazi and you can copy their Eldrazi. That would be sure. But then but then you, every deck would play. This, you, right? you know, you're playing you're playing some crazy Eldrazi deck that's got Drowner of Hopes in it. And, you know, you get to make another Drowner of Hope. You get to get three, three more, you know, Eldrazi spawn tokens. You get to do all sorts of cool stuff. So yeah, no, I, I love this card. I, I think this is going to be uh, this is going to be one of the most uh, asked about items at the pre-release in terms of people looking to trade for new cards. Uh, Unknown Shores. Um, Reprint, right? Uh, is it? Uh, I think it is. I mean, it's, I think it's a functional reprint, right? I think the name might be new. I think Unknown Shores is actually. I'm gonna. It I'm, may. It may we very don't well normally be, yeah. do this, but I'm gonna do this. Yeah, but tap oh, Unknown Shores is a real card. It was in the set Theros. Like oh, okay. So, where it probably felt like a functional reprint yes, or something else already. So, yeah, yeah, so like add a... colors to mana pool. One tap, add one color, one mana of any color to your mana pool. So a card we've seen before, but suddenly it's less of a drawback that the card makes colorless on the front side of its abilities because you're going to want to do that. I actually think that the reason that they put this in is just to showcase how they were backwards templating the uh, the lands that can, right. can make colorless. I think this is like a very convenient opportunity for them. Right. And that's uh, it. Yeah, no, we saw Runes of Orin Reef here. Runes of Orin Reef uh, enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, tapped to add colorless to your mana pool. And then it has tap, put a plus one, plus one, counter on target colorless creature that entered the battlefield this turn. Uh, I think this card's spectacularly awesome. Do you, you do you really think so? Yes. Why why on a colorless why is putting a plus one plus one counter on a colorless creature gonna be so what if you just because it lets a... you it lets you win the the fight in a mirrored match? What if you just have a from beyond? And your from beyond makes two twos instead of one ones? Yeah, that's kinda sweet. Yeah, like what if that's what what if that's it? What if you have a Kozilek and your Kozilek is thirteen thirteen and their Kozilek is twelve twelve? Yeah. All right, I'm I mean, in. These are. I just think this card's spectacularly good. You gonna gonna see play? Yeah, I think that it's gonna be see play as a four of. Okay. Well, what, what do you think? Like, what if you what if you have um, so a hangerback walker typically costs two mana for a one one or four mana for a two two. Yeah. This gives you the opportunity for three mana for a two two. Yeah, no, it's true. A four mana for a two two, and right, then, it, it, it actually lets you play your. Uh, get it get it 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 sort of functions like a temple of the false god for specifically for hangerback walker specifically for hangerback walker but i mean it's also good in like i, I don't know that this is sea play in modern or legacy or anything but if you just go like arcbound ravager this thing like 
on three, like yeah. you're, you have a slightly bigger upper on your shirt. That's a thing. Yeah. You know, um, or like any colorless creatures, right? Including devoid creatures. They're just big now. I think that I actually would seriously consider taking this high and limited too. Just like, what if I knew that I was going to have devoids in my deck? You know? Just like really, really powerful. I think. Yeah. Um, also, aren't there plus one, plus one counters matter uh, effects somewhere? I think so, yeah. So. Uh, let's talk about Seagate Wreckage. So that's another land, add colorless to your mana pool. It does and then not it... come into play tapped. No, it does not come into play tapped, and it has two colorless and tap draw card. Activate this ability only if you have no cards in hand. So this is an attempted fix of Library of Alexandria, but it's, it's the like, opposite, yeah, it's, right? So, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the plane, cha- plane shifted version. I think this card is unbelievably good. I mean, it it feels like a, an outpost siege that every deck can play. I feel like specifically like play this like either in a deck with like all super cheap creatures or like burn super cheap creatures and burn spells so you have this one of the obvious strategies that people try to play but tends not to work out um because of cards like siege rhino uh or anafenza is like like there's tons of efficient jackal pups what if we just played all the jackal pups you know then you're just like you consistently go pup 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 on the first two to three turns, and you're just in for, like, six or whatever, then your opponent just plays, like, their first and defense and a siege runner, your guys never attack again, right? But what if you could empty your hand? It's hard for them to attack, because you're, you're, if they're attacking for four, you're going to attack back for six. They don't want to do that, right? But you could just transform, like, the fact that you have an empty hand now into, into more cards in hand. That's a thing, but I think it's really a thing in a burn deck. Yeah. Right, so... If you could just empty your like the bejesus out of your hand with burn, and and then get going with this, I think that's really powerful. Um, I think I probably overstated. I don't know if it's spectacularly good. I do think that the ability to draw cards without using additional spells slash slots in your deck, um, when you have an expectation of just transforming cards into hand into damage at a mana efficient rate is a powerful ability i think it's worth exploring um i I, so i think it's probably not spectacularly good but uh i think this is probably something that we were worth worth exploring for sure so then there's there's three uh creature lands in the set that we've seen needle spires which is the red white one and that has two red white needle spires becomes a two one red and white elemental with double strike until end of turn uh, there's Hissing Quagmire, which is the black-green, and it has one black-green. Hissing Quagmire becomes a 2-2 black and green elemental with death touch until end of turn. And Wandering Fumarole, which has two blue-black, uh, two blue-red until end of turn. Fumarole becomes a 1-4 blue and red creature with zero switch this creature's power and toughness until end of turn. How much is that? I don't see that card. Uh, that was that was in Luis's column this uh, oh, okay. Friday. What, which which of these? Uh, what rank those guys uh, from most likely to least likely to see play? I mean, they're all going to see play. They're all right? going to see. So just let's just start from the very beginning. All of them is going to see play, and there's a really really simple reason for this. The bar is unbelievably low. Okay, so. If, if there were a land that were like comes into play tapped, taps for black or green, gain a life, would that card see play? And the answer is yes. 
Okay, so is the ability to make a 2-2 death card creature sometimes better or worse than gaining life once? It's obvious, right? So, it lets you win the game sometimes. Yeah, so the bar on these cards is extremely low to, to see play. Uh, yeah. The, the, is it Swiftwater Vents? Is that the red-blue one? Um, uh, Water and Food World. No, 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 the, the red-blue one originally. Swiftwater Cliffs or something? That's not played oh. mad amount of play in good decks. Sure. Right? So, I, I, you know, Andrew Cuneo is weird enough with his uh, things that double how much life you're gaining that maybe he would actually still play the Swiftwater Cliffs. But Wandering Fumeral has got to be... The ability to just be swinging for four has got to be better than than gaining life once in, in most deck situations. Right. So they're all going to see play. Uh, which is the best? I would guess Wandering Fumeral is the best because four mana for four power is uh, is pretty good, uh, and four mana for four toughness. If you want to like be defensive or you know play around their their you know three toughness or three damage removal, those are things. Uh, I think that the black green one is the worst by far uh, because I'm not that interested in the two two. But I mean, I like it's never going to get its money right, like. Like maybe it will. Like if you have five, you actually only need. Let's see. Yeah, you need five, three for to activate the hissing quagmire, and then tap the hissing quagmire for G, and then another one for white, and then you can have that thing fight uh, uh, with uh, with Dramica's command in a in a junk colored Abzan colored deck. Right. That's a thing that you could do. That's going to punch above weight. That's pretty good. Uh, it's possible needle spires is the best, but I don't think so. I think the blue red one is the best. You still there, Mike? Yeah, did you put me on hold by accident? I, I did by accident because Becker called. Say hi to Becker. Oh, hi, Becker. Uh, so what I was saying is Needle Spires, I think, has a superpower, and the superpower is sometimes he just kills your opponent. If you're playing uh, this card in... But Fumarol has the same ability. No. I mean, for real. Like, you're playing like a... Oh, like a oh sure, sure. Or like a... Or like yeah, a, in a Nyadek, you can just double strike them and... and uh, yeah, like, they become immense. You, oh, and you're just like, all right, all right, activate my Needle Spires, attack, become immense, kill you. Right, that's actually a real thing. Like that's sixteen from nowhere, and people will definitely like just radiant flames your guys. That's the thing they'll do, and then they'll die. You know, it's a. I think like so. I think that that card has you know a substantial upside that the other one, the other ones don't. But I think on average, uh, the blue red one is going to be the best. That that's my guess. Okay. All right. Well, that is uh, so. We we really we got a lot of cover here. I think we basically have uh, red and green left to go. And gold. And this gold. Is, this is our real our real review cast, but yeah, this is just our resolutions cast. Uh, should we waste time on some non magic talk? Just say Przingis a bunch. Uh we could talk about Przingis, but uh, you know, I'm I'm actually. I mean, I, I mentioned this to you earlier, but I'm actually excited about the way Mellow is playing. Which is, and I'm aware, I'm aware of of the flaws in Melo's game, but he's actually been playing like his more like a game where he's like actually believes that his teammates are capable of doing things, and so he's passing out of double teams, and he's actually like fighting for rebounds, and you know had like one assist shy of a triple double the other day. So you know. I think this is probably like Melo's second best season ever. So yeah, um... Nick, Nick's have been fun to watch. I mean, they're still not very good. But uh, they they they've been fun to watch, and certainly an improvement from last year. I think that they. I, I don't like Derek Fisher very much. Is my problem. 
You think he's the? I don't think he's the problem. I don't think he. But I just. I just don't think he's. I don't think he's. Imp- you know, he's. You know, his. The best thing you could say about him would be that he'd be neutral, and I think he's probably harmful. So here's. I think the thing. he just. Knicks are only three games out of the eighth seed right now. Right. All right. So let's look at the teams ahead of them. I'm actually surprised at how bad the Wizards are. The Wizards were like a playoff contending team before, you know? Uh, Hornets, whatever. Pistons, whatever. Neither of those are good teams. The, the weird thing to me is the Celtics are the eighth seed in the East right now, and they're like the second best team in the East, I think. Celtics? I, I See, that's that's the case of a coach like <laughs> that is quite positive like, on, on you, your results. If you look at their point differential, they're they're... You know, they're way behind Chicago, Toronto, Atlanta, et cetera, but they actually have a better point differential than every other team in the East but the Cavs. And, like, you watch them play, they've got stuff going on, that team. And I, I really think the Celtics are the second-best team in the East. Um, it, it's super weird, right? Uh, but then look, at Orlando is a playoff-contending team? Come on, you can, you can get up there. Miami, Indiana, these teams all stink, Brian. They stink. Yeah. So I th- I'm, I don't know. I think you guys would probably make the playoffs next year. Przingis is going to have a year under his belt. Yeah. You know I think. Yeah, and then maybe, maybe we get Luke Walton to come over and coach us. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Walton, you know what's crazy? Luke Walton and like two other guys who are active players in the Warriors right now were all Cavs together two years ago. Like yeah. Walton was getting minutes on the Cavs along with uh along with uh who did they have Will- Livingston and Maurice Spates. And those guys are all in the Warriors now, <laughs> whether as a, a coach or as, as players. Yeah. So, all right. Well, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk more about basketball once we're done with with those to the gate watch. All right. Uh, for now, topic magic is Brian Marshall and Michael B. Flores saying uh, we'll, we'll talk about some more cards soon. Bye bye. All right. Bye.